What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forest, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. O-Z-Y. Ozzy. Ozzy Media Productions. History contains many sliding doors, fateful moments that happen that cause something else to happen, which in turn leads to something else. Moments that ripple across our lives, our communities, our world. I'm Sean Braswell, and this is The Thread, a podcast from Aussie Media. This premiere season, we take the death of rock icon John Lennon in 1980 and pull on a thread that leads us back to another Lennon, the Russian revolutionary leader Vladimir Lenin. Here's a quick recap to follow our thread so far. But please listen to the previous episodes if you haven't already. John Lennon, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival. John Lennon was murdered in front of his New York City apartment building in December of 1980. Mark David Chapman came to New York with the sole intention of killing John Lennon. Chapman didn't flee the scene after the shooting. Instead, he took out a book, as he told CNN's Larry King years later. I took the catch in the rye out of my pocket. I paced. I tried to read it. I, I just couldn't wait, Larry, until those police got there. I was just devastated. Chapman was obsessed with the catcher in the rye and its main character, Holden Caulfield. But the novel may have never existed if its author, J.D. Salinger, had not fallen for a beautiful New York socialite, Una O'Neill. Una helped inspire Salinger's book, but she also broke the young writer's heart when she married Charlie Chaplin, a man old enough to be her father. If ever anyone was looking for a father, it was Una. In this episode, we continue our thread with Una's father, Eugene O'Neill. He changed Una's life when he abandoned her as a small child. He also changed the landscape of American theater forever. Those gorgeous eyes, dark and glorious eyes, burn with patient eyes, how they heal the tides, and how I adore 
We begin this episode in the year 1939. The playwright Eugene O'Neill has won three Pulitzer Prizes and the Nobel Prize for Literature. He's 50 years old, and he's just getting warmed up. Over the next four years, he writes his last and best plays. The Iceman Cometh, Long Day's Journey Into Night, A Touch of the Poet, Huey, and A Moon for the Misbegotten, all just during this one brief four-year period. Robert Dowling, author of Eugene O'Neill, A Life in Four Acts. It was really an, a magnificent accomplishment. And you think about it, this is, this is a guy who had already won three Pulitzer Prizes and the Nobel Prize. And now's his time, he thinks, to really make a difference. But this outpouring of creativity is, in part, fueled by a frantic race against time. O'Neill suffered from a degenerative disease that made him shake uncontrollably. His brain worked perfectly, but by the end of his life, he could barely feed himself or hold a pen. He simply couldn't write anymore. And he tried to dictate his plays on a dictaphone, and that didn't work. This is why we still have recordings of his voice at all, is because he, he uh, read out different scenes from his late plays. Like the uneven tick of a run-down crazy clock. And so for the last 10 years of his life, his brain was at absolute top, like the height of its power. But his body refused to allow him to get the dramas circulating in his head down on paper or onto the stage. And um, it's just, it's just tragic. I became drunk with the beauty and singing rhythm of it. This is Eugene O'Neill from one of those recordings. For a moment I lost myself, actually lost my life. I was set free. I dissolved in the sea, became white sails and flying spray, became beauty and rhythm, became moonlight and the ship and the high, dim, starred sky. O'Neill is reciting from a long day's journey into night. The play is about family, addiction, love, and hate and how we handle them. His whole life went into making this dramatic masterpiece, which he requested not be published until 25 years after his death. O'Neill used drama to work through the relationships in his life with his parents, siblings, wives, and children. Before O'Neill was a literary legend, he hung out at a hole-in-the-wall bar in Greenwich Village. The young O'Neill was a brooding drunk with smoldering good looks and dark, soulful eyes. He had already dropped out of college and abandoned his first wife and newborn son to sail the seas and search for gold in Central America, only to return with no gold and a wicked case of malaria. The struggling writer lived in Manhattan on a small allowance from his father, who was a well-known actor. O'Neill called his apartment the Garbage Flat, it had piles of sacks for beds and a carpet of cigarette butts. He came to Greenwich Village the old-fashioned way by sort of drinking his way in, and the hellhole was perfect for him. O'Neill's favorite haunt was the Golden Swan Saloon, but everyone just called it the hellhole. On any given night, you could walk into the hellhole and find O'Neill drinking himself into a stupor, often alongside some colorful characters. The Hudson Dusters were a quite vicious street gang, an Irish street gang. They were called the Dusters because they did so much cocaine. They were a really violent group. But for some reason, they absolutely adored O'Neill. And um, he would 
recite to them, and they loved it. And he became great friends with them. Beer was five cents a glass, and the food came through a jagged hole in the wall. But apparently, you know, the food was pretty good. O'Neill drank among the rabble, pickpockets, prostitutes, and bohemians of the village. Uh, It was an enormously important time, even though he wasn't actually sitting down and writing. He was primarily sitting down and drinking. He wrote virtually nothing. But he did pick up the dialects and storylines and settings for a lot of his plays. Eugene O'Neill struggled as a playwright in New York City at the very beginning of his career. Nobody wanted his gloomy tragedies. And so in the summer of 1916, he traveled to the artist enclave of Provincetown, Massachusetts. It's a quaint Portuguese fishing town, but quaint is the wrong word because there were just so many artists and writers and bohemians and everybody's drinking and swimming and and putting on plays. And it was the, the largest art colony in the world. The scene that summer revolved around an innovative theater group called the Provincetown Players. The players wanted to upend the world of American theater. Mary Dearborn, historian and biographer. Up till then, playwrights were thought to be sort of um, like tradesmen who just provided sort of copy for the artists, the actors, to interpret and act. But to write a play that was a work of art, that was new. In other words, the Provincetown players wanted to establish playwrights as the true stars of Broadway. And as luck would have it, an unrecognized genius, albeit one with a serious drinking problem, had just washed up on their shores. And O'Neill was shaking so hard from the DTs that he couldn't lift his coffee cup up to his mouth. Biographer Robert Dowling says O'Neill was in a sorry state, but the players were looking for good plays to put on that summer. And O'Neill had a whole box of them he was working on. And on top of the box was painted the words magic yeast, (laughs) which turned out to be pretty prophetic. The Provincetown players invited O'Neill into their circle. One of their leaders, a beautiful bohemian woman named Louise Bryant, took a particular interest in him. She even let him stay for free in a rundown shack near her house. But O'Neill kept Bryant and everyone else at a distance. He put a sign above the shack door that read, Go to hell. He was a very shy person. And so I think he felt very vulnerable around all these thespian-like, look-at-me types. Uh, He was not a look-at-me type. But what he understood was that he needed these people to help him put on his plays. Louise Bryant was the only one who could get O'Neill to stay sober long enough to write. Later that summer, O'Neill shared a new one-act play. Bound East for Cardiff was based on his time as a sailor. The players were absolutely stunned. They were just all floored by the means in which O'Neill was able to capture the dialogue of the real sailors to put them into such a sympathetic light. The Provincetown players staged Bound East for Cardiff in an old fish house at the end of a wharf. Mary Dearborn again. It was very romantic, I think, because the planks of the floor, you could see through to the waters of the bay. It was very dramatic looking. I mean, I don't mean to leave you, Drisk, but the sailor life, it ain't much to cry about leaving. One ship after another, had to work, small pay, had a bum grub. 
and then you get into port. There's another drunk ending up in a fight. All your money gone, and then you just sail away again. Never meeting no nice people. Never getting out of sailor town. Hardly in any port. Traveling all around the world and seeing none of it. With no one to care whether you're alive or dead. The entire wharf shook with applause. The player's performance of Bound East for Cardiff that summer is a legendary moment in American theater. The play was a full-blown tragedy. It made no attempt at a Broadway-style happy ending. O'Neill's innovative writing portrayed working-class characters with a stark sensitivity. The same month that O'Neill made his worldwide debut as a playwright in Provincetown, he also embarked on a love affair that would change his life. From the start of the summer, there was no doubt of the electricity between Eugene O'Neill and Louise Bryant. He told a friend, When that girl touches me with the tip of her little finger, it's like a flame. It was Bryant, though, who made the first move. She passed O'Neill one of her poems tacked into a book. It was extremely flirtatious. Mary Dearborn again. Dark eyes, you stir my soul ineffably. You scatter all my peace. Dark eyes, what shall I do? <laughs> it's like saying, uh, you know, do you want to pick this up? <laughs> and uh, evidently he did. He fell for her immediately. Robert Dowling again. She was a real enchantress, I guess, for lack of a better word. I mean, she really had that kind of radical, open-minded individualistic, artistic, bohemian attitude. And I just don't think he had met anybody like her. Bryant brought out the best in O'Neill. Their love and his art flourished among the sand dunes of Cape Cod. The only problem was Bryant had a serious boyfriend, and he was seriously famous. Jack Reed was a rock star journalist. He reported on war and revolution around the world. Bryant assured her new lover that she and Reed believed in free love. Still, O'Neill looked up to Reed and was terrified that he would find out about the affair. And sure enough, Reed did find out. But he didn't care. He gave the lovers his blessing. Up next, O'Neill's star rises, but at a heavy price. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You ever get the feeling the city walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating your soul? You crave wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe chase some elk, fish a private stream. Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there, and finding your own piece of it just got easier. Head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, location, the kind of hunting or fishing you dream of. Land.com. It's where the adventure begins. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. 
on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. You ever get that feeling like the concrete jungle's closing in? You crave wide-open spaces, the chance to chase your own dinner, or just breathe clean air? Well, listen up. There's a whole world out there waiting, and finding your piece of it just got easier. Head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, you name it. Search by acreage, price, location. They've got it all. No matter what kind of wild dream you're chasing, Land.com can help you find the ground to make it a reality. So quit dreaming. Head over to Land.com, find your open space, and get out there. You can work from the road while turning your vehicle into a powerful high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi on the network that covers more roads than any other carrier. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls. Finish up that presentation or answer last-minute emails. Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to see if you're eligible for a free trial today. Based on independent third-party data, always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. The magical summer in Provincetown eventually came to an end. Bryant grew restless and craved adventure. She left O'Neill behind and sailed off to report on war and revolution around the world. But she kept O'Neill on ice and came calling every time she was back in New York. For the next year, the lovesick playwright nursed his wounds in Greenwich Village. Biographer Robert Dowling. O'Neill sank into another extremely depressive stage of extreme alcoholism. O'Neill was in a haze of depression, heart sickness, and drink. One night, a beautiful woman walked into the hellhole. Every eye in the place turned to greet her. Everybody, especially the Provincetown players, and especially O'Neill, just gaped at her. She was, you know, kind of a more classically beautiful version of Louise Bryant. <laughs> and everybody saw that. The woman's name was Agnes Bolton. O'Neill was floored. After a few drinks, O'Neill walked her back to her hotel. When they parted, he looked her in the eye and declared, I want to spend every night of my life from now on with you. I mean this, every night of my life. O'Neill and Bolton got married in April 1918. They moved to Cape Cod, where they could both write and go for long walks together. Their relationship began pretty well. Um, their first two years together were pretty idyllic, and they both were writers. They both liked to drink. They both adored Provincetown. O'Neill's father bought them a gorgeous house out there. Then things started to go downhill, just as O'Neill's writing career took off. Bolton faltered under the weight of her husband's genius, his drinking, his frequent bouts of rage. 
His work came to dominate their marriage. Writing is my vacation from living, he once said. And he was, in those days, a really mean drunk. So he hit her. And then he would have this epic hangover the next day and apologize so much that she was sort of embarrassed just to be around him. Bolton got pregnant. O'Neill was reluctant to become a father again. He told her, I don't understand children. They make me uneasy, and I don't know how to act with them. Una's older brother, Shane O'Neill, was born in October 1919, but Eugene consistently chose work over family. His first published play, Beyond the Horizon, was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. So he moved back to New York and left Bolton alone on Cape Cod with their infant son. And so she felt enormously isolated. Well, meanwhile, O'Neill is sort of whooping it up with all these Broadway big shots. And after that point, I don't think they ever really reconnected. Um, that was sort of the beginning of the end for them. And as O'Neill's star rose higher, so did his consumption of alcohol. He would go totally cold turkey, write a complete play, and then hit the bottle for two months, you know, and just be completely destitute and sometimes lost. Nobody knew where he was. And then he'd come back again. He would taper off the booze. Once he was sobered up, he would write another play, you know, and repeat. Una O'Neill was born into this turbulence. She was a very loving little girl, and he was a very, very distant man. Una O'Neill biographer Jane Scoville says Una never really had a chance to win the playwright's affections. He, he always said himself that his plays were his children. The kids didn't... They were there, but he, he didn't pay much attention to them, if at all. When Una was just two years old, Eugene O'Neill abandoned their family for good. O'Neill's marriage to Bolton began in the shadow of Louise Bryant, and their family, including little Una and her brother never escaped it. Let's go back to when O'Neill and Bolton first met at the hellhole. That night, O'Neill declared that he wanted to spend every night for the rest of his life with her. But then, he disappeared. Bolton didn't hear from him for weeks. One night, she attended a party, and guess who stumbles in the door? Eugene O'Neill. And he's uh, completely bombed, and he, he sees Agnes Bolton, and he goes running into the kitchen with a bottle and sort of drains the bottle and then goes out into the crowd, stands up on a chair and starts dialing the clock above the fireplace backwards. O'Neill pleads with the clock to turn back the universe and give me yesterday. And everybody thought that was a wonderful performance, a lot of people were thinking maybe he meant uh, bring me back to Louise Bryant. But O'Neill couldn't turn back the universe, no matter how hard he tried. The lovesick playwright continued to write to Bryant, even after he married Agnes Bolton. And then in the final letter he writes her, he says, It is more than probable that you have burned yourself so deep into my soul that the wound will never heal and I stand condemned to love you forever and hate you for what you have done to my life. It's impossible to know what would have happened if Louise Bryant had stayed in New York with Eugene O'Neill, how history might have changed. There would have been no marriage to Bolton, no Una to inspire J.D. Salinger, and then no Catcher in the Rye and no phonies to motivate Mark David Chapman to murder John Lennon. 
But Louise Bryant did leave O'Neill. She jumped at a chance for a grand adventure, a chance to make a name for herself as a journalist. Next episode, we continue our thread with Louise Bryant, a woman from a small town in nowhere Nevada who burst onto the world stage. She witnessed revolution in the making, only to see it and her own life come tumbling down in ruin and despair. The Thread is produced by Meredith Hotna, Libby Coleman, and me, Sean Braswell. Our editors are Carlos Watson and Samir Rao. Meredith Hotnot engineered our show with mixing and sound design from James Rowlands. Special thanks to Cindy Carpian, David Boyer, Tracy Moran, Sean Culligan, Sanjeev Tandon, Cameo George, and KALW. This episode featured the song Dark Eyes by Gypsy Moon, a performance by Jack McLean, and archival recordings from Yale's Beinecke Library. Check us out at ozzy.com, that's ozy.com, or on Twitter and Facebook. To learn more about The Thread, visit ozzy.com slash the thread, all one word. And make sure to subscribe to The Thread on Apple Podcasts. If you love surprising, engaging stories from history, like this one, look no further than the flashback section of Ozzy. Thanks for listening. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. 